Welcome, and thank you for listening to this audio sermon from Lighthouse Baptist Church. For more information about our ministry, go to lbccincy.com. And now for the message from Pastor Nathan Lang. You would turn your Bibles tonight to James chapter number 5. Uh, James chapter 5, now, um, we, we are at the very tail end of this chapter, and, uh, and I dare say that the very tail end here that I'm covering tonight and next Wednesday night uh, are probably uh, some of the hardest verses to cover, some of the most controversial verses to cover uh, in many, many ways. And you're going to see that here tonight. Uh, and so I want you to listen in on purpose because we're going to dig deep tonight. I want you to, I want you to get this because uh, there's, some very, there's a lot of misunderstood um, uh, views about this text. Um, and, uh, and you're going to see that here. And uh, let's look in verse number 13, James chapter number 5. And uh, we're going to look in verses 13 through 15. We might, we might bleed down into verse 16, uh, but uh, 13 through 15 is what I want to cover tonight. Uh, and so verse number 13, as I said, it's uh, the Lord's timing here. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Uh, let him sing psalms. Verse number 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now let's pray. Now, Father in heaven, uh, we're asking for your, uh, for your blessing on tonight. I pray that as we open up the word of God, as we rightly divide it, that is the desire of my heart. Lord, I pray uh, that you would uh, help me to explain it in such a way uh, that even the smallest child would understand what I'm saying. We love you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, we have here some verses, of course, very familiar. We've, we've, we've dealt with, we, we've read these verses before, if you've been saved for any length of time. Uh, but the last, the last section of, of James is, is, is well acknowledged as being one of the hardest to understand uh, in compared to the whole letter. Now I want you to realize that uh, usually when you get to the end of a letter, you're, cap, you're, you're capping this off. You're saying, okay, now this is what I've said throughout this letter, uh, and now I need to end this letter. And so you can almost, I want you to almost have that viewpoint as we're covering these verses as, okay, now everything that we've covered in the last four chapters was not in vain. It wasn't just blowing smoke. It was leading up to uh, something where he was going. And who we have here at the very end uh, this, of this letter, you know, whatever, whatever challenges, particular passages of scripture might, might be present, uh, we, we shouldn't skip over them. And I, I've seen people do that. Preachers will skip over a text because it might be controversial. Uh, he'll get, I've seen preachers, they'll get to the point where uh, they'll cover subjects and they're like, whoa, well, uh, you know, this, I know somebody in my church who's going through this or, or, is, or has this right now, so I'm not going to cover it. Uh, and so, uh, no, you, you ought not do that. And that's what I absolutely love about preaching expository, about preaching right down through the text, because I, you can't blame the preacher of taking something that you're, that you're dealing with and accuse the preacher of preaching on you because we're following, you can see where I'm going uh, as I'm going down through it. So, so with any, any difficult text, it helps to rule out uh, what it can't mean. And, uh, and these verses include discussion of prayer, verses 13 through 18, and with those, uh, healing, verses 14 through 16. And uh, the detail is clear enough to show, to show us what it isn't about. And so first... These verses clearly are not describing um, the Roman Catholic practice of extreme unction. 
and, uh, and, uh, or, or the last rites, uh, for those of you who are wondering what I'm talking about. Uh, but this is the practice where, where someone ought to be on their uh, deathbed, is anointed with oil by the priest, and uh, they make their confession, and, is, uh, and so therefore they're spiritually saved before they die. Uh, and although the features of, of this seem to chime into what James is discussing, uh, the presence of a leader and anointing with oil, uh, he is mentioning that in verse 14, uh, confession of sin and forgiveness in verse 16, but a, a more careful look shows us that this, this cannot be what James has in mind. And, uh, and obviously, as you read through this text, and first, I want you to see here that the, the confession James is calling for here uh, is to each other. Um, he's, he's talking about confessing your sins one to another. And now let me, there, there's so many different directions. I could literally take probably four weeks to cover these verses that I just covered because there's so many different directions uh, that you can go with this. Uh, the, the area of confessing your, uh, your faults or your sins uh, to someone else. Um, I, I believe there is a place to that, uh, but I believe that you shouldn't just go around to anybody telling everybody what your faults are. There's got to be wisdom that comes with that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, you don't just go around to any Tom, Dick, or Mary and say, hey, uh, this is what I'm struggling with right now. No, this needs to be somebody who you can confide in. This needs to be somebody where you can say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need an accountability partner. How many of you know what an accountability partner is? Hey, there's a place for that. Uh, but, you know, if you took both of these and you flipped this, uh, if you were, uh, you know, in the whole going to the pastor, I believe there's a time and place to go to the pastor. Uh, with, with things that you're dealing with. I believe there is, especially if you are in leadership in the church and you're, you're dealing with something in your life. Uh, can I say this, that uh, I'm thankful for those who will have the courage to come to me and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I know I'm in leadership in, in the church. I'm a teacher, or I'm whatever the case may be, but preacher, I need help in this area. Hey, I'm thankful for those who will do that and not just hide and cover their secret sin, so to speak. And you know, that's exactly what it does when you, when you do uh, hold yourself accountable to somebody is, is it makes it harder for you to harbor and, and bury a secret sin in your life, if that makes sense. And so, uh, so that there is a, there is a place for that. Uh, so, uh, uh, thinking about the confession James is calling for here to each other, uh, and let me say this: uh, Wouldn't you think that that would go both ways? And I'm not trying to t to tear down the, the the Catholics here today, uh, but if he says we need to do this one to another, wouldn't that mean that I need to share with you just as much as you share with me? I'm no different. I'm flesh and blood. And as a matter of fact, let me take a, a sip of water here. There's times from the pulpit, I've had people say, Preacher, you shouldn't be telling about things that you've struggled with. And I'm not talking about deep sin. Uh, I'm talking about some areas that, hey, you know, I got out there and I was driving and I got behind somebody and they slammed on the brakes. And boy, I tell you what, I wanted to, I wanted to get out of the car and wring their neck. You know, Preacher, you shouldn't talk like that. Hey, I'm confessing to you that I'm flesh just like you are. And, uh, and I struggle with the day-to-day -day just like you do. It's the moment I step out of that bed, uh, you know, I'm, I hit the ground running, but I struggle just like you. And so I believe there is a time and a place for that. Let me, let me just throw this in here, and we're, and we're going to move on because it is connected to this. Um, you got to be careful going around to just every person just telling them what your problems are all the time. That, that, that ought not be the case. When he says, hey, we need to confess one to another, uh, I think these need to be times that you've prayed about talking to this person about for advice, not for the sake of just saying, hey, look what I did, but say, hey, I, need, I want some help here. Do you have some, some wisdom here? We ought to have wisdom in going to people in the church who are spiritually mature that could help us in a time period in our life that we don't know what to do. 
And second, this passage is, is not talking about healing, healing rallies or particular people having healing ministries. It's, it's often used as the basis for, uh, for offering regular miraculous healing for those who have enough faith, uh, who truly believe that they will be healed by God. Uh, but, but, but again, the details of the passage do not fit this kind of interpretation. For starters, uh, the, the ministry James describes seems to take place in the sick person's home. And uh, not, not, as, not as a rally of a church meeting and all that sort of stuff. Now, uh, let, me, let me just, uh, out of the gate here, once again, we're James chapter 5 and verse 13 uh, through 15. Uh, I may offend you tonight in some of the things I'm going to tell you, because a lot of people, if there's one area that people love to get upset with me on, and not usually on a Wednesday night crowd, is when I start talking about the speaking in tongues issue and the healing issue. I've got the gift of healing. Hey, no, Jesus has the gift of healing. And, uh, and uh, a lot of people, and once again, we're, we're dissecting this, this text. We're talking about somebody at their home. Uh, well, we're not talking about Benny Hinn getting his, his magical jacket and, and, and hitting everybody with it. That's that, that stuff is as fake and as bogus as Jim Jones's setups were. He literally had his people sitting in wheelchairs who were walking around the day before, but they were supposedly in wheelchair bound. And then in the services, he'd come up and touch them and they'd stand up and walk around and, and mumble a bunch of junk. And, and all of a sudden, they were healed. No, that's, that was a bunch of fake stuff, okay? And uh, you got to be careful with that stuff, that, that, that faith healing stuff. And so the initiative to receive ministry comes from the person suffering and, and they're the one who calls for the people to pray for them. Notice what I said. They are the ones who call for the, for the elders to pray for them. I do not go to you and say, here, let me heal you. And let me say, um, you know, because I, I always said that if, you know, Benny Hinn has the power to do all that, then why doesn't he go around all the hospitals and just heal everybody and the children? Uh, but, but here's the thing. Scripturally, the person who was going through the ailment came to the leadership. The leadership did not go to them and say, here, let me pray over you. Does that make sense? So let me, just, let, me, let me just cover that. Once again, you probably won't like everything I have to say, but that's okay. I'm not here to be popular. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, so whatever James is describing in these verses, he is certainly not talking about uh, healing servants. And I uh, just want to declare that. And so the idea that James is teaching that, that believing prayer will always lead to healing also doesn't fit with the wider teaching of the Bible. Once again, here, uh, we're trying to say, okay, these are some things that we know that, is, that this text is not saying uh, and uh, uh, people get be kind of get kind of confused with this, and so we we see examples in the Bible of godly sick people not not being miraculously healed. Jesus did not heal everybody uh, that, that he went around and 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 dealt with people. Now, when he was there, he was healing people and he was he was he was performing great miracles. Uh, but the reality is, he didn't just wave his hand and say, all right, everybody's healed, no more sickness. The reality is we live in a sin-cursed world, and so therefore there will be sickness and there will be pain and sorrow, there will be sin until the Lord Jesus comes back. And so that is the reality of it. But you know what? Um, how many of you have ever read this? And, he's, and uh, let's, get, let's look in it. He says, uh, verse 14, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, and <clears throat> excuse me, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, let me say this. In verse number 15, in the prayer of faith, how many of you have ever prayed uh, and, uh, and you prayed for something and you just thought, well, I just didn't have enough faith? How many, because that person, and it wasn't healed. Uh, well, we're going we're to cover that here tonight in just a little bit. The reality is, 
It's not so much in the amount of faith that you have, but in the fact that you're praying. And you see, when we pray, Jesus gave us this example in prayer that our prayers, our prayers, don't miss this tonight if you get nothing else tonight, our prayers must align with God the Father's will. And so whatever we're praying, we must, we, first of all, we need to get in tune with what, hey, God, what do you want? Okay, I don't know what God wants. Okay, I don't know what he wants in this area. I don't know if it's his will to heal this man or to see that man uh, live with this infirmity the rest of their life. I don't know if it's God's will to heal this, this woman or if it's God's will for this woman to go on to heaven. I don't know that. And so when I'm praying, Lord, I believe that you can do this. I believe that you can do this. But Lord, I want your will most of all. If it's your will to take them, then Lord, that's what I want. I want what you want. You know, we've, we've, we've um, the deacons and I, we, you know, we've, we've uh, prayed and anointed over quite a few people over the years who had come to us. And you know, some of those people are still alive today, and some of those people are in heaven today. You say, oh, well, you know, well, preacher, you and the deacons and some of the men, you just didn't have enough faith. No, 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 no. It wasn't God's will. For them, God's will was they were healed, but it wasn't in the fashion that we thought they were going to be healed. It's good to see Carl in here today. Carl's been praying for, for, a, for a kidney donor, and, and, uh, and you said there's, you've got one or two people um, who, who just may. Boy, you better take them out and wine and dine them, okay? You finesse them. Boy, you, you offer them whatever they want. And, uh, uh, but uh, Carl in here, you know, uh, Carl, Carl's you know, got the, he's on the dialysis. I'm not trying to tell your business, but he's got the dialysis now. And, uh, and so uh, he goes through a lot there with that, with his kidneys. Uh, but the reality is, I want Carl to be healed. And I, Carl, I pray for you every day. I pray for you to be healed. But I don't know what God's will is in that matter. But I pray in faith knowing that God can. I can do that. So I said that there's a lot of examples of people in the Bible who were sick and they were not miraculously healed. You know, when Timothy, for example, had problems with his stomach, Paul counseled him uh, to take some wine for it in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And, uh, and he doesn't mention anything about needing the services of a healing ministry. And uh, we, we also need to think about what the Bible teaches uh, more generally about the nature of faith. Faith is trusting Jesus. That's what faith is. Uh, what makes our faith strong is not its intensity, uh, as though we need to work ourselves up into a state of, of absolute belief, uh, but it's object. It's object, the one in whom our faith is placed. That is, is, is what we're talking about here today. Uh, you say, oh man, if I just fervently, man, if I get down here and I just start sweating, man, then, then maybe God will know that I'm more fervent and then that I want him to do something in this and then he'll heal this person. No, 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 no. It's not so much as in how much faith, but who you have faith in. Make sense? All right, we'll move on. If it doesn't, we'll talk about it later. The one in whom our faith is placed is, is, is this subject here. If we forget this, then we end up trusting in our faith and wondering whether we have enough of it rather than trusting in Christ. No matter what, if I go to the doctor tomorrow and they say, Nathan, you got six months. My faith is going to be based on my relationship with Christ, not in how much I can get on an altar and, and, and beg, if that makes sense. To suggest that people, uh, only people with a certain amount of faith enjoy particular kinds of miracles uh, and healing you know, experiences uh, is against the grain of what the Bible teaches. 
Um, for years, I'll just, I'll just, I'm just I'm trying to keep it simple here tonight. For years, I thought, man, if I could just have the faith as so-and-so. The Bible says if you have the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can move mountains. So I want you to see here tonight that it's not, oh, if I just had more faith, because that is a common misconception that I see all the time. If I just had more faith, if I just had more faith, Jesus said, just have faith in me. Okay, whatever level. If you have childlike faith, he says, hey, suffer the little children. Hey, come unto me with childlike faith. You don't have to have this giant faith to be able to say, oh, God's going to do it. Uh, You have to have faith, simply put. In who? In Jesus Christ. So we can rule out these three approaches of the text, and this is helpful, you know, if you think about what Sherwin-Holmes often said to Watson, eliminate the impossible and what remains, however unlikely, must be the truth. And uh, so James begins this section with the importance of prayer. Once again, he describes a range of circumstances that a believer might find themselves in uh, in verses 13 through and 14, uh, find themselves in trouble, uh, find themselves in ha- as happy, find themselves ill, whatever the case is. In each of the cases, the response, whether you're happy, uh, is any of you, look at verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. And it's amazing uh, how he does this. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Uh, and, and, and ultimately, what he's saying is the result it ought to be in a prayer life a prayer life that's the response life is always going to be a mixture of ups and downs but the constant among Christians is to be how we respond how you respond when you lose that loved one how you respond, uh, you know, uh, talking with Mr. Jackson just the other day, and, and uh, he was getting ready to go out, go out to work, and, and uh, his dad was, had not yet passed. And, uh, and I said, hey, aren't you going to stay here? He said, my dad's saved. I know where he's going. He said, I'm not going to stop living. He said, I'm, I'm, I've got things to do. I'm going to take care of uh, all those things. I thought, you know what? What a great response. What a great response. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if you stay, whatever, uh, but I think you get where I'm going here. The reality is uh, he, he, he had faith. He said, hey, you know what? It's okay. But he had, a, he had a peace about it. And so in each of those cases, you see that, uh, that we need to pray. Our whole lives are to be lived in a relation, with a relationship to God. Our whole lives, our whole lives ought to be with that relationship uh, is, is how it should be. There's never a time uh, when it's not good to pray, in other words. Bible says pray without ceasing. And of course, we know that we're not supposed to be prostrate on the ground 24 hours a day. Jesus didn't do that. <laughs> but a constant state of prayer. Think about that. Reflect on your own situation, whatever you're going through right now, and determine, I'm going to bring this to God. I'm not going to stress about it. I'm not going to run off and murmur. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to uh, do all these things, uh, but I'm going to leave it with the Lord. And, and we need to be to that place in our lives. We must get to that place. So the great, the great pressing issues behind this letter uh, are spiritual drifting, what James has called double-mindedness and spiritual adultery, uh, and of the need to come back to God uh, in wholehearted faith. That's what he's wanting. That's what he's uh, gearing this book to. And it's in this context that James discusses sickness. He's not necessarily saying that every time someone from church sneezes, that the elders need to come together and pray and lay hands and and anoint with oil. (laughs) That's not what he's saying. You got to, right now, uh, I tell you what, uh, Andy and Frank, we would be going 24 hours a day right now praying and anointing people. 
So there's, there's a time to do this, and it's in this context that James discusses that, and he's, he, he's laying this out on what we're to do, and the elders need to come, uh, come prepared, but more likely, uh, James is addressing sickness that comes in a particular context uh, that warns the ministry of the church leadership. And in the verses that follow, James seems to identify sickness with sin and healing with repentance. Did you pick that up in this text? Look in verse number 15. In verse, uh, in verse 15. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So the prayer offered will make the sick person well, literally saved. And in verse number 16, it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, much. And he says, confess your faults, confess your sins uh, so that you can be healed. And, and notice that the results appear the wrong way around. I don't know if you picked that up yet, but here the sick person is saved and the sinner is healed. Isn't that interesting? We'd ordinarily expect this to say that the sick person will be healed and the sinner would be saved. But James is drawing a connection between the person's sickness and their sin. I told you we're going to get a little bit deeper here tonight, so stay with me. The New Testament urges uh, great caution in making this sort of connection. And in general, sickness is part of the parcel of life in a broken and fallen world. It is part of the fallout of our collective rebellion against God. And in that sense, uh, it, it, it does not discriminate. We experience sickness because we live in a sinful world and not necessarily because we have been particularly sinful. Are you listening to me tonight? Let me say that again because I don't want you to miss that. That's another misconception so many people have. We experience sickness because we live in a sinful world and not necessarily because we have been particularly sinful. And if you want proof of that, just jot this down. If you take notes, John chapter 9, Jesus warned his disciples about assuming someone's affliction was the result of a particular sin. Who did sin? Him or his parents? Who did sin? Neither. But that the work of God would be made manifest. Hey, God was doing a work in this. It wasn't anyone's sin who had anything to do with this. You know, it's very easy for us to stand back and look at somebody who's not living right and say, oh, look at that. You're going to get judged by God. And, you know, they may get judged by God, but that's not your call. <clears throat> it's easy to, to get into that mode. So the New Testament urges caution in making this sort of connection. In general, sickness is part and part parcel of life in a broken and fallen world. In a part of the fallout of our collective rebellion against God and in that sense uh, uh, what, what it brings. But there's some occasions in the New Testament where sickness is the result of sin. Jesus warned the healed invalid and uh, in John chapter 5 and verse 14, a failure to repent raises the possibility of further and more extreme affliction. And similarly, uh, Paul writes to the wayward believers in Corinth and uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, we know that where we read those verses uh, on uh, the, uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, and in there, he's talking about people uh, in there about the judgment that'll come if you partake unworthily. And uh, the reality is uh, that there is a time 
aware uh, that, that, that sin can result in sickness. And, uh, and so there can be a connection between sickness and sin. And when the former is disciplined from God for the, for the latter, uh, an example of James is about to give from the time of Elijah. God, God's discipline on his people <coughs> was what? To with, withhold rain. For some of the Corinthians, it was to withhold health. (laughs) And these instances are meant to provoke repentance so that the discipline can be lifted. Are you with me? In other words, you can't live a life of sin and knowingly see that it's sin and just blow it off and expect everything to just be okay with you and God. It doesn't work that way. You can't live an open sin... You can't live in secret sin. The Bible, the Bible says that our sin will find us out. This makes sense of James's instructions in the context of this enormous, enormous uh, double-minded uh, among God's double-mindedness among God's people. James urges the sick to call to the elders precisely because uh, uh, this may, in a, in the sense, be a matter of spiritual discipline. Where Christian leadership is required. And, and, and the elders are to pray for health to be restored for the repentant sinner. If the sickness is indeed the Lord's discipline, uh, it will be lifted. If that person, uh, if that sick person uh, will be made well, uh, both in body and in spirit. Did you, I hope you got what I just said. When that person comes and says, all right, now I want you to pray. The reality is, is there anything between you and God that needs to be taken care of? Because that just very well may be why you are where you're at. And so, okay, if this is God's judgment, we are praying right now. You've repented. You're right with God. All right now, Lord, I ask that you would lift this from this person. We want to see this person uh, uh, lifted of this infirmity, of this whatever it is that's ailing them. And listen, uh, and we've done that. And if you say, I'm still not healed, then maybe it wasn't uh, God's judgment on your sin. Maybe it's God's will that that's the channel, the avenue of which he's going to get glory from you until he brings you home. Now, we don't like to hear that, do we? The reality is, when I sit people down and we anoint them with oil, I tell them, now, the reality is, I have faith that God can, 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 can heal you, but the reality is, He may not. Are you going to be okay with that? I'm sure Paul wanted to get rid of that besetting sin. <clears throat> excuse me, that, 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 not besetting sin, forgive me. Uh, I'm sure Paul wanted to get rid of that thorn in the flesh. But you know what? We need to be careful. Not all sickness is the result of sin. There's another broader application here, again, to do with prayer. Confession and repentance involving a church leader um, <coughs> may, may be, may be uh, necessary sometimes, depending on the situation. I've often said this. People will ask me, they'll say, Pastor, how do you know when something needs to be brought before the church and dealt with or if it needs to be help, dealt with behind closed doors. Well, I'll tell you my, my formula for that. <clears throat> if it's a sin that has been public, then it needs to be dealt with public. If it's a sin that's not been public, then it can be dealt with out of the public's eye for the most part, depending on the situation. 
But confessing one to another, you know, that is a thing. It is a thing in the Bible. But once again, you got to be very, very careful with that. Uh, it better be somebody you can truly trust, somebody you can confide in, if you're going to confess your faults to them. Confession can be made to others. Repentance can be a church family concern, according to this text. Now, once again, this isn't a, this isn't a, a topic that's dealt with quite a, quite a bit in churches. Uh, and, and I'm not telling you to go around. I, I, I'm not trying to back paddle on all this stuff. I'm not telling you to go around everybody telling them all your sin. We all have a responsibility to one another is the reality. Hey, there is a unity that must, we must have in a church. If someone confides in you something, uh, you ought to be able to keep that to yourself. If somebody says, hey, would you pray, would you pray about this? You realize that, um, the th- think about my family, the things that I tell my wife, I don't go home and tell my wife. It, there's people with, with issues in here uh, that have no idea. Uh, my wife has no idea what you're going through. If I tell my wife something, it's because I say, is this something that I can share? And if, they say, and if, if, if I don't ask, they don't say it, then I don't share it. Because I don't like telling other people's business. <laughs> can I get an amen right there? We also need to be those to whom others would feel able to confess to. If, somebody, if somebody's coming to you, can I say this? Don't go to somebody who just got saved and ask them for some spiritual counseling. It doesn't make sense. Don't go to somebody, please, 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 do not go to somebody who's not right with God and ask them spiritual counseling. You know how very easily it is to go to somebody who's going to tell you what you want to hear? It's very easy to do that. So you go to somebody, hey, um, what, what do you think about, what, what do you think about this, this, the way I'm living in this way? Uh, you go to a person who has no spiritual maturity at all, has no background of studying the Bible, and that's the person you're going to get your spiritual advice from? Are you kidding me? You, what do you think they're going to tell you? What do you think they're going to tell? If when I was praying about putting my kids in Christian school, I did not go around to all the people I know who have their kids in public school and say, "Hey, what do you think? What do you think they're going to tell you?" Homeschooling. Those of you, hey, you know, I'm praying about homeschooling, and you ask the person who's in the Christian school. Go, go to both, <laughs> but have some wisdom there. You see what I'm saying? And asking for advice, go to somebody who knows what we're talking about. If I, if I want to go to somebody for, for financial advice, I'm not going to go to somebody uh, who, who has lost their home twice, uh, who can't make their payments on their car. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to go to that person for financial advice. Does that make sense? I'm going to go to somebody who's got it together financially. I want to go to somebody who knows how to save, somebody who knows how to invest, somebody who knows how to spend their money wisely. That's who I'm going to, who's a good steward of their money. I'm not going to just go to any person uh, to get that kind of advice. I, I, know, I know that some of you, I'm insulting your intelligence in here, but I promise you, uh, there's probably people in this room who need what I just said. I want to go to the expert on the matter. I don't want to go to somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. You know, there's a... There's a there's a lot of preacher friends of mine who, who I know who I can go to them for what. I've got some preacher friends who are not the greatest at their finances. And guess what? When I wanted financial advice, I didn't go to them. So we need to be able to go to those. We need to be the type of person where somebody can approach. We need to be in a spiritual maturity 
that somebody can look out there and say, hey, you know what, let, let, me, let me talk to so-and-so about this. Uh, it's worth asking yourself, are you someone others would find approachable? Are you known to be trustworthy and sensitive? You know, um, probably, I know at least three times in the past year, Brother David, who is on staff, uh, who, who's, who's on staff and works, works for me at the church, uh, they've been here a year and a half. I know of three times this year where I've said, David, am I approachable? Am I approachable to you? Because I don't want him to feel that he can't come to me. Why do you say that? Because maybe I come across as this. I don't want that. I want him to be able to come to me. As you as a church family, I want you to be able to come to me. You know, that's one of the, one of the reasons why, we, why I initiated this way back when we were over in the old building. I remember going out and trying to shake some of the kids' hands. And, and they, they looked up at me and they tuck and bury because all they saw me was in the pulpit preaching. They didn't see that uh, side of me. You know what I did? I started getting these suckers, and I said, all right, now, all the kids after the service come up to me. I want to give you a sucker. And you know what? It gave them an opportunity to see me for me and not just as the preacher in the pulpit. You ought to be approachable. Let me say this. You ought to have somebody you're discipling. There ought to be somebody you're working on and training and molding to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you known to be trustworthy? Would a good friend at church be wise to share a painful and shameful sin with you? Once again, take it to the Lord. If you need to confide in somebody, confide in somebody. But the reality is, I'm asking you, are you approachable? Are you approachable? You know, it's amazing with... <clears throat> I didn't get into it, but I, I've, got, I've got more notes that I typed up on the subject of, of anointing and what, and what that is, that, that oil, you know, symbol of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, there's a couple different couple different applications you can make there uh, with that when you're when you're when you're having you know being prayed over. We have oil. I have uh, uh, oil over my uh, uh, in my office, and uh, I wanted to use baking grease, but that doesn't that's not good. But I want to no uh, I have oil oil that I use that we that we uh, uh, that we that I use and we we apply that and. And what that means, but uh, you know, thinking about it, I mean, just thinking about the very subject of uh, of that oil and what it is and what it represents, and uh, it's pretty neat. You know, um, <coughs> uh, I'm not for every everything that comes out on the market, but um, my wife doesn't sell this stuff, so that's why I'm gonna that's why I'm gonna mention it. Uh, be, uh, but essential oils, my wife, she uses. Uh, essential oils around the house. How many of you have used essential oils? You don't even know what I'm. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But uh, I'm I'm for the essential oils. Uh, I had a headache today, and I had it was migraine level, and where I I literally I, I had to go my I had to, as soon as I came home I went in the room and I had to cover my my head up because I it was it was so uh, the, the light I just couldn't take it. And uh, she got some peppermint and she got some things and she rubbed it on my head and uh, and about ten minutes later I was good. I was good. And um, uh, that oil. And of course, I believe it was also my wife praying for me. Uh, I said, I, I'm preaching tonight. I said, I can't make them listen to Frank two weeks in a row. And uh, <laughs> I'm almost finished. He was like, all right, now preach your medal. I'm almost finished. I'm almost finished for tonight. <laughs> but I'm going to wrap it up here today. And we're going to next week, I'm going to pray, but next week we're going to pick up. I'm going to give a little bit more on what we just gave. And then we're going to finish out this book uh, but some of us, we can get so focused on the amount of our faith that we get so wrapped up in that thing that we think, hey, you know what? Well, what's the use? Why even pray? Uh, because I just don't have enough faith. 
No, if you've got faith, you believe the Lord can do it, it's who you have the faith in that makes the difference. Who is your faith in? Is it in your ability or is it in the Lord's ability? should be in the Lord's ability. Let's pray. Father, thank you for listening to this audio sermon from Lighthouse Baptist Church. For more information about our ministry, go to lbccincy.com.